Shut up and sit down. Greetings from the heartland of America, Guthrie, Oklahoma, and Hoboken Coffee Roasters. This is the Bold Leadership Podcast, where we are building bold leaders to solve tomorrow's toughest challenges. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for taking the time. The Bold Leadership Podcast is published every Tuesday for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.exsin.co. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud favorites. You can also follow us on Twitter at The Bold Leaders and Facebook. All links are in the show notes. And now, here are your hosts, former Air Force pilot, commander, and business owner Dave Evans with his partner in crime, former combat controller, wealth advisor, and deal maker extraordinaire Phil Nichols. Let's get into the show. Hey, we're glad to have you here today for our next episode of Bold Leadership. Today, we're going to talk about how the military builds leaders through seemingly meaningless tasks. And as you know, we're both we're, we're both former Air Force vets, and we've spent a lot of time leading companies and organizations across the globe. But it's interesting how we define culture in the military. Now, I'm going to start with a real quick statement. I'm going to let you take over, Phil, because okay. you have so much insight on this. It's interesting. When I go into businesses and talk to them, they talk about how, well, military leadership doesn't work in our organization. You, know, you can't do what you do in the military in our organization. And it's an interesting statement. I'm going to give it to you now after making that statement because I think there's a lot of insight for people, and they want to hear from you, not from me on this topic. Well, I think you know, the first thing is, is that's not a true statement. Um, the, one of the first things you learn is that most people, unfortunately, if, you, if they never served, um, form their opinions based on what they see on the little brown box or black box TV set. And, and, and that always portrays military leaders as screamers and yellers. And they're, you know, it's this just barbaric way of communicating <laughs> and, and nothing's farther from the truth. You know, uh, you know, when you go into basic training, there's a degree of of loud conversations, but that's 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 because you have a very short window to make such a fundamental change. And but what what takes over, for example, Dave, in basic very quickly, is getting into the details. And what they're really trying to teach you is a culture, and how to think dynamically, and how to how to communicate with one another, how to come together as a team and work. So I'll give you a great example. You know, anybody that's been in the service understands folding their drawers in six-inch squares, right? Now, the truth is nobody really cares if your underwear is folded in a six-inch square, but they want to get you in the practice of now, wait, having things done. My wife does care about yeah, the drawers being folded that is and tidy put away, so that it does apply true. to marriage as you know, well. You know, I do apologize for that. You're right. It does. She does. <laughs> Sorry. But, be, but, but besides Mary, um, you know, it's, it's all about establishing processes, procedures, communication, working as a team, expectations, follow through, all these things that obviously are needed every day in the business world. And so misconceptions run wild when it comes to leadership in the military. Well, I think it's interesting because what they're teaching you is your role and your position at the current time and what it means and how much it matters to be that good at silly tactical things, right? Yeah. And as you're a brand new salesman coming into an organization, you need to be really good at the tactical art of your product and selling. If you're a operational manager, if you're wherever you are, you need to understand those little things that make you that much better. Yeah, it's the, you know, for example, if you, uh, one organization that I've done a lot of work with, they had a process 
um, called the 60-60-30 business plan. And, and it was a federated mutual insurance company. And, and their, their thought behind that was, is you take a top 60 uh, prospects that match their market, what they wanted to do business with, those companies. And if you'd call on, identify 60, out of that 60, 60%, the second 60 would let you provide with a competitive quote. Of that, if 30% of them said yes, then you would write 10.8 new accounts, 11 new accounts. And it was always interesting, you know, their, their top, their president's council winners, you know, the top best of the best of their sales force, about 500 people across the country. Every one of them, if you sat down and talked to them and you could look at their planner or look at their at their smartphone or their iPad or wherever they keep their calendar and their planning tools, every one of them followed the, the business plan to AT because it fit. It fit the culture. It, so that means there was clear communication. There was clear processes in place to help whenever you were struggling. Um, and most importantly, Dave, there was a process to follow. And too many times, you know, we forget, you know, every, all, everybody thinks that they're, that they can do everything off the cuff. And that's just, and that's never more true than with any group than salespeople, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I can say this because I've been one my entire life. Sales reps, we automatically think that we're different than everybody else <laughs> and that we can remember everything we need to remember and that we've got this down cold and you know, and it's just, if it could be something as simple as having a pre-call planner that you set down and fill out prior to going out and visiting with somebody, take five minutes and just hit the highlights, say, okay, this is what I want to visit with them about, this is what my value prop, this is, these are probably objections, this is what I'm going to, you know, something as simple as that, built in your process, will increase your revenue drastically over the course of a year. So, you know, it's just important to remember it's the little things that create great results. So that brings up a great question. We're going to talk about training next. And okay. you and I have been through training every day of our life. Yeah. <laughs> and then some. And, and one of the things that I see companies doing, especially when times get tough, is they cut their training staff. Yeah. That's a really bad idea. So I'm going to ask you, in your biggest failure, challenge, or obstacle, how did training impact your performance? Wow. I didn't know I was going to bare my soul today. Uh, I, you know, I would tell you that uh, my biggest failure... Well, I'm going to let you think about it. I'll share a story real quick okay. while you're thinking because I've thought through this a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, so here I am. I'm an instructor pilot. I'm flying 707s. Yep. Um, and we're flying into Milton Hall, England. Okay. We're landing. Uh, the winds are out of limits. Um, so we are trying to figure out what our plan is. And all of a sudden, the winds come in limits. I'm an instructor pilot. I am the man. I am God's gift to aviation. At least I thought I was. I was a sure. captain and invincible. You better think that right. if you're flying one of those. Yeah. And so the co-pilot goes, sir, do you mind if I do the landing in a max crosswind situation <laughs> at night in a strange field? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. I got this. So, so we're flying down the approach. We come into the runway. We are crabbed. The, the nose is pointed 12 degrees off runway heading. My young co-pilot, sweating through his flight suit, lands the airplane in the crab. The airplane proceeds to yank to the right. The left wing comes up, and I thought I ripped the number one engine off of the airplane. The well, co-pilot, well done, Captain. The, the co-pilot was so numb to what was going on and so intent on trying to land the airplane. He, he had no idea. I was white as a ghost. That's funny. But it was one of those situations where my training kicked in. Yeah. And we did the right thing and didn't tear the airplane up like we should have. Now, I should have taken the airplane sooner, obviously. And yeah. I learned a valuable lesson that day, which I carried with me the rest of my career. Yeah. But what I will tell you is when you train for those situations, you just react. 
Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that story. And tact, I mean, that's, that helps. That brings back many times then. It's going to be hard for me to pick just one where I failed, but I will, I'll try to, focus, try to figure out a good one here for you guys. But it'd probably go back to being on operations. And, and you know, anybody that's ever served in a forward operating unit understands that there's uh, the one absolute certainty is that nothing stays the same, nothing is certain, nothing... You know, you can do something a million times, and the in the million and one time that you try it, everything goes to heck in a handbasket, and now it's back to your what? It's back to your training, and and you know, there's uh, when you're repelling was one of my first ones where I really experienced something that was uh, an opportunity for me to uh, to make a mistake, and by by panicking, not having a process, not having any kind of uh, system to fall back on. But if you ever had a carabiner fail, it's not a, a fun thing. And, and one of the things they teach you early on in aerosol or if you're wall repelling or any type of, of rope work is how to break yourself if, something, if you have a catastrophic failure. Now, it's, now, this isn't as sexy as a catastrophic failure in an aircraft. It's more sexy because you're on a rope and it's your bite. There's but when your head's pointed straight down, yeah, it scares you a little bit. And, so, and that was the other thing. We were doing what's called the Korean, too, which the Korean's when you're going down belly first against the wall head down. And so, you know, it was a bad time to have a carabiner failure. And, you know, and I just followed my procedures and followed the training and, and it worked. You know, and I think that, you know, probably the most important thing about that is all of my fellow troopers around me got to see it work. Does oh, that yeah, make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Team and so, so you learn a lot. I, I'll give you another one. You know, and this isn't life or death stuff. But, you know, when going through training, a lot of people, uh, again, I'll use TV as a reference because that's, how many people correlate their understanding of what the military does and 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 most of it is not accurate i'll add that but um but one thing that is accurate is they like to show uh seal teams pjs a lot of different combat arms teams running around with the pt log and what the pt log is it's 150 to 200 pound log that six or seven men will carry on their shoulder everywhere they go and a lot of people will see that and they go, man, you know, that's, those guys have to, it's not about the physical part of that. It's 150, 200 pounds. It's not very heavy when you got six or seven people on it. So, but it's, it's worth learning how to run in properly in cadence, carrying that along, how to walk, how to set it down correctly, how to pick it up, how to pick it up correctly. It's about communication. It's about teamwork. It's about if you've got a person that's maybe a little shorter if you got one person on your team that's 6'5", another person on your team that's 5'5", five five, and then think about that with a log. How's that going to work, right? So there's a lot of different things you got to think about. And so I think that, you know, like most things in the professional world, it's all about communication. It's all about that process. It's all about if you are struggling with something, having a culture that allows people to communicate back and forth freely so they can come up with the right solution. And that's something that I always appreciated about our time in the military and we've seen it also with with many great organizations out there in the world that have great cultures and that really uh you know encourage that kind of communication that type of exchange so very important and and i think to tie this back to the business world which is where we are now is that when you are in a company in an organization you have a process to fall back on and things start going badly whether it be yeah. a sales meeting whether it be a production line whether it be a logistics movement of equipment whether it be a CFO discussion about finance in the organization. If you have processes to fall back on, you'll catch mistakes. Yeah, every time. And you can recover much more quickly. I, 
I've heard a number of business people say, well, I don't like to plan. Right? <laughs> and bec- and they, they use Tyson's quote. Well, a plan oh, goes yeah. to hell once you punch in the mouth. Well, what I will tell you is that the plan is the only thing that keeps you alive when you get punched, when you get punched in, the in the mouth. That's exactly right. Because you know where you are right now, where you should be, and where you need to be 10 minutes a month, a quarter from now. So I can't emphasize that training and planning enough. Well, and one of the things that, you know, one of the systems that we practice and that we also train and teach others too is the 12-week year. Yep. And having the ability to... Um, we got to give a shout out to Brian Moran and Mike Lennington that created the 12 week year. And, um, but having the ability to have a process in place that says, you know, there's so much annualized thinking, right? Right. Long term thinking. So, so instead of saying, I want to make a quarter of a million dollars this year as a sales rep and then forgetting about it, because what normally happens is you set that goal in early January, then you take about a month, month and a half off because you got all this time to get it done. And then you, you go through this process, then you wake up and it's October and you're at 40% of plan and you're like, holy, you know, what am I going to do? Well, you had vacation in July right, and August, right? Right, the kids right. going back to school, you got busy, you, you weren't gotta, tracking what you were right. doing. You gotta, it's so, October comes around, it's oh, oh darn. Oh darn, yeah. A little worse word than that probably, but oh darn is, is correct for today. But, but you know, so the 12-week year, what it does is it quite simply takes that annualized thinking and brings it into periodization thinking or quarterly thinking to where you can make when you're executing your tactics and your strategies uh, to realize your 12-week goal, which you break down from 12 weeks to a weekly goal to a daily goal, you're doing that kind of detailed planning and then processes in place to help you execute on it with good tactics and strategy, it's very hard to fail. Now, we have a copy of that 12-week calendar, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I tell you what we're going to do. For the podcast and the download links, we're going to make a copy of that 12-week calendar available to you for yeah. listening to the podcast so you can look at it and, and see if it's a fit. I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's a way to plan your year out and set your goals in an appropriate fashion and move ahead with a good plan uh, and, and knock the socks off your competition. Yeah, and it's fun because I've been utilizing the 12-week year now for about 17 years. And I can tell you there is a, there is a, it's, it's not, a, it's not a coincidental that my business took off about 17 years ago, about 16 and a half years. Cause you know, you really start seeing the results three, six months into it. And I mean, measurable, shocking improvement. And so, you know, if, if you will commit to that process and you'll follow it, and that's one of many that we work with, but for sales reps, for leaders, for anybody that's working on a, where they have a lot of freedom in their day-to-day activities, um, and anybody that's typically measured by the revenue they bring into an organization, uh, it's which a... Should it's, be every which should be every employee. Right. I'm grinning when I'm if saying If they're not bringing this. money to the company, what are they doing for you're, you? You're dead overhead. Absolutely. But anyway, so, you know, you've really got to, you know, that's a plan that we would, I know we'll be doing more on this, but it's something that's really there that can help you so I look forward to sharing that and we've got other tools we can share as well but I look forward to you guys taking a look at that calendar yeah and the big thing is we want to make sure you have the tools you need to do your job and if you need help reach out absolutely Um, on email at info at exsin.co be more than happy to answer your questions and work with you so here's the next question we missed this last week so we're going to get it this week what do you see as the biggest leadership challenge companies face today and what was your lightning bolt moment for your biggest leadership challenge you faced as a business owner? Well, I think for me, it's a lack of understanding that folks, uh, I'll say my age, because I'm a little older than you, Dave, but uh, my age. Um, yeah, Grandpa. Yeah, Grandpa. <laughs> if 
five times. But anyway, it's, it's uh, you know, I'm 51 years old. And so, and I came up in a time when uh, leadership was defined and executed in different ways. And we've had to evolve over the years to stay current and stay relevant. But, you know, understanding the millennial generation for, for any organization is difficult, not because they're not great. I've told you many times, I think the millennials are, I feel wonderful about where they're going to take our country and how they're going to lead us because I like the way they think. Now, it's different. It's a different way of getting there. But, boy, I tell you, they, they focus on those things that matter. So to answer your question, it was, it's, it's how, did, how do you communicate effectively and create a culture to where old guys like me can not just survive, but we can thrive with people 22, 23, 24 years old and really share because – us older guys have some good things to bring to the table. So do those younger Bumps folks. Bumps and bruises. Yeah, had yeah, yeah. Keep the bloody noses. Your toe again. Yeah, the bloody noses. Absolutely. But we've got some good things to bring to the table, as do the millennial generation and everybody in between. So we had to create a culture to where, where, that was in, where communication and, and embracing one another's ideas and concepts and processes was not only encouraged but really demanded because – that's where everybody's going to find self-fulfillment and satisfaction is when you're all hitting on all eight cylinders and everything's working right. I mean, that's when everybody's the happiest. So, so this goes back to the topic of today, seemingly meaningless tasks. Right. The interesting thing that people don't think about in the military is that most of your warfighters are between 18 and 25. Uh, uh, 18 and 25. 90% of them. Most of your general officers... A lot of them are younger than Us. Phil and I. <laughs> by bump, and they're by. leading hundreds of thousands yeah. of young men and women. Yeah. If you, They have learned through hundreds of years of experience yep. that we ingrain a certain culture in every service. We ingrain a certain way to do things, and we allow young people to bring their ideas to the table and test new ideas. And, to understand, and that's what brings them in, in the culture of the military. You're that new guy comes into the unit, and you're the old commander dude or the old chief. You know, you're, you're listening to these young people because they're bringing new stuff to the table you never thought of. And what I love about the armed services is that how they embrace new team members into the organization. I mean, you get right down to when if you go to a new duty station, you got a sponsor that's waiting there. Even before you get there, you're communicating with that sponsor, that person that's going to bring you on the base. With from everything from little mundane tasks like here's the dry cleaners, here's the the PX, here's the the base gym, here's all these things. To, to more detailed things. And so something as simple as having somebody to, to basically be your, your friend right from the jump to help get you plugged in to those things that you need to be plugged into, it's all thought about. And there are all those little things. But, man, again, those little things are what end up with greatness. So And that it's, goes, it's that goes to the question thing. we need to ask for the business owners out there. What is your sponsorship? sponsorship plan for your yeah. employees. Yeah. How are you onboarding them? How are you bringing them in and making them feel welcome and a part yeah. of your team? How are you teaching them your culture? <laughs> More importantly, do you have a culture? Well, and do you know what it is. That's what you really find out. Most times is that there isn't a culture. There's, no, there's nothing out there. It's just they come in, they do the same thing every day, and hopefully they'll have some success along the way. One of the best cultures I've ever personally seen um, is inside an organization called Colonial Life. It's a company out of South Carolina that we've done a lot of engagements with over the years from leadership to sales training to everything else. But um, the way they welcome a new member on is incredible where they have a mentor and they, and they stay with them for a long, long time and they help them every step of the way. Think about this. If you, have, if you take company A and company B, Dave, and company A, you show up, you fill out your paperwork, 
they give you say you, you sit here uh go ahead and start doing this mean this meaningless task you know they'll give them they'll say i'll check in with you in a few hours see how you're doing compared to company b that when you show up your desk is prepared all your gears on there maybe you have a few nice um little pieces of swag maybe a company hat a company shirt some pads a pin um you know something cool like a gift crazy make you idea. feel welcome make you feel welcome yeah, absolutely um and and on top of that maybe maybe then you're assigned to a mentor whose job is to not the hr department's job although it could be somebody in hr to go around and introduce you to the people in the organization if it's a large organization introduce you to the people in your office or the area that you're going to be working in and just spend a couple days investing in that employee to make sure that they're comfortable Building I mean, bridges. Building bridges. I mean, it's a, it's, it goes back to why do you carry the PT log, right? So if you, if you got a new person, they're going to hop on that log, and maybe that person's six foot five, and everybody else is five foot five. How are you going to deal with that? You know, what, do you, what are you going to do? You know, no two people are exactly the same. I've yet to see that. And so while the, people can have similarities, you and I have a lot of similarities, but we're very different people. Yep. And so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that we want a bunch of clones. That's the last thing you want. But you got to have a culture where people can thrive. And, that, you and know, work that's as a team. And work as a and team. And know their role. Every time. And execute. Well, if you don't, if you don't know your role and if you don't execute, you're never, you have no chance of achieving greatness. You well, just have no chance. You're just drifting. You're, you're drifting. Just drifting. Yeah. All right, let's see. we got time for one more question. Okay. So in your company, biggest leadership challenge in your lightning bolt moment, when you go, I get it. Yeah. I get that these seemingly meaningless tasks yeah. means something, and I understand why we do what we do. Because I can tell you, in basic training, you're like, whatever, man. I'm just getting through the day. I'm going <laughs> to do what they tell me survive. to do. Just, yeah. I just want to make just it. Just don't to, yell at me I want to make it to lunch. I want to make it to <laughs> right. dinner, right? Please don't call me the snake pit. Please don't call me the snake pit. So, so when did you realize that all these silly things made yeah. a difference and it was part of the culture to grow you into what you eventually became? Well, I'm going to actually use an example. I'm, I'm not going to follow your exact because I okay. think this one may be – does a better job of, of giving the, uh, a real-world example. In basic training many, many years ago, and it was ironic, one of my sons, I have two sons that are currently, that, well, one actively serving, another son's on delayed entry. He leaves in 29 days to go to basic training. So, you know, we're very much a military family and goes generations before my wife and I. But, um, uh, but in basic training, that first, you know, six, seven, eight days is just crazy because... They're shaving your head. You're taking all your stuff away from you. You got nothing on you. You're a pickle. You got nothing on your uniform. I mean, it's just crazy. And and so you go from that area to about day, probably about day 17 or 18, Staff Sergeant Kirkpatrick, you never forget your TIs or DIs. He comes in on a weekend, and I was the dorm chief. They pick... You know, they got five ropes. You know, you got your red rope, your yellow ropes, you know. And so you had team leader, dorm chief. So I was the dorm chief. And he calls me into his office, and I go in there. And he, and he looked at me and he says, hey, relax, sit down. And he started having a conversation with me. And as silly as this may sound, I didn't think this guy was human up to that point. <laughs> but the fact that, you know, we had gotten deep enough into it. I had a leadership role inside the, uh, my flight. The fact that he took the time to talk to me and say, hey, you know, now you got these two guys here, this guy over here. They, I noticed they used to need some help here. And I, I, I was just sitting there dumbfounded going, he's, he's human, you know. And, and, but he was communicating with me. 
what that taught me was, and the reason it was a, a, such a lightning bolt moment was that, you know, those previous 16, 17 days, you were peeling back the onion and you were, you were stripping us down. You were getting us to where they could start building us back up. And then we'd had, and they really do that that first seven or eight days. From about day eight or nine till that day for me, day 17, 18, when he came in, um, he'd, they'd start building. And we'd gotten to a place, because that's the only reason he came in. I didn't realize that at the time, but the only reason he came in was to have that conversation with me on a Saturday, right? And uh, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it taught me, and I carry this today, that there's different stages in a relationship. And if you think about, think about dating when you were a kid, right, or when you were courting your wife. You know, you didn't, you didn't start here. You know, the first date, five minutes into it, you didn't go, gosh, I love you. You know, they had a ram, right? But you, but you start and you, you develop that relationship. You develop trust. You develop confidence in one another. You figure out how that person learns. You figure out how that person receives. Same thing in military training. You know, what? some people you can scream at and they get it. Some people, if you scream at them, they shut down. Some people, to use an extreme example... Uh, but in the workplace, a good example might be, you know, some people, if you bring them in and you, and you talk to them like you're going to write them up and give them a reprimand, it'll crush them because they don't have the confidence or the, just the internal uh, willpower to withstand something like that. Um, so, you know, you've really got to understand your people. Um, and that's what that taught me is understand individual people because it was very obvious. I thought he just screamed at everybody, but it was very obvious when he started pointing out the different people. He knew where everybody needed help. And he was using me as a tool in the organization to help him get to them. And that was a neat thing to see. And, I, and it applies to anything we do, regardless of industry. You know, go back. Have that welcoming culture. Have that teaching culture. Have that mentoring culture. And if you do those things, you're going to have excellence. Well, and that leads us to this. And we, we've talked about this before. And you and I talk about it regularly is personality types matter. And knowing other people's personality types drive you to be able to make those uh, decisions, have those conversations, and understand what's going on in your organization. And we'll get more into DISC and how to use as a leader in a later episode, Um, but we are huge fans of leveraging personality tests to understand and communicate with others so we're communicating in their language, not our language. Yeah, because if you don't don't know how one another receive and give when it comes to communication, you're just guessing. And that's how misunderstandings happen. That's how people's feelings get hurt. All the things that take away f- from a productive professional culture, that's how those things occur. So something as simple as any type of assessment. We love DISC. We have several different assessments we use depending on the situation. But, but DISC assessment, for one, you know, and I know we're going to go into detail, it does a great job of helping you understand how can I help this person the most? Because you're understanding how they communicate. Yep. And you don't want to guess when it comes to building your culture. <laughs> no, you don't. So takeaways for today, 12-week year will be on this podcast. A yep. download will be available for you. Uh, folding your underwear in a six-inch square matters. <laughs> Especially it to Murray. Something, <laughs> it means something to, to have that specific detail. Yeah. And we care about you and we want to help you. So yeah. for today... Uh, Phil and I are out of here. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the show. Our show notes can be found at www.exit.co. If you liked it as much as we think you did, be sure to go to iTunes and leave us a review.